A number of years ago, I found myself in need of running a particular errand, and it had to take place after dark in a quite a sketchy neighborhood. And so I just wanted to get it over with, get it done with, so I went to the neighborhood and I turned down an unfamiliar street and I was trying to look for a particular house number. And as I was, I noticed that the majority of the street lights had been, I don't know, shot out or rocks thrown them out or something along those lines. And so it was pitch black. And I'm kind of cruising down the street. I'm looking for the address. I realize I miss it. I turn. I'm coming back. I finally locate the place and I kind of pull over to the side and I just jump out, run, do what I need to do, come back to the car, jump in, and I'm driving off. And I'm excited because this is like BC before kids. And so I'm looking forward to a relaxing, peaceful evening at home with my husband. And um, I call him up on the phone. And, and right as it's, you know, I dial and, I, and it's ringing, I hear a sound in the back of my vehicle. And um, instantly my mind goes to uh, some horrific options because the sound sounds like, rustling. It sounds like digging through something. And so my heart begins to race. And I'm like, come on, Lavelle, pick it up. And my brain starts to go through, like, do we have a code word that I could say that would alert him to this emergency of someone is now in my vehicle? And I realize we're normal. We don't have code words. And so I'm like, how am I going to say creepy guy in the back, like, will he remember pig Latin? Does the guy know pig Latin? But I just hear these sounds in the back of my vehicle, and like sheer panic overtakes me, and Lavelle finally picks up, and I just blurt it out. I'm like, there's a guy in my car. He's in the back. He's in the trunk. I don't know what's going to happen. And Lavelle, you know, being a reasonable man, is trying to like calm me down, but of course is disturbed as well. And as I go up around the bridge, around this corner, I hear a distinct like sliding and then a thump of whoever is in the back of my vehicle has now slid and kind of bumped against the side, and now I'm convinced. I know for a fact that there is someone in the back of my vehicle that got into my vehicle in the sketchy neighborhood in the dark when I ran to drop off this thing. And so I just, I, there's nowhere to pull over, okay? You know how, like, in an emergency, like, a minute or a second is, like, 15 minutes long? And so I'm going up over the bridge, and there's nowhere. There's literally nowhere. But I'm like, is it better to be axe murdered in my own vehicle or to park unsafely on a moving road? And so I don't know what to do, so I'm processing this, and I just gun it. And I just shoot through the light, pull over, jump out. As I'm jumping out, the hand scratches across the back of my neck, and I realize it's very furry, and um, it was a cat. And, you know, I get out of the car in all kinds of ninja moves in time to kind of like go, okay, 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 which Lavelle's now, you know, also supportively laughing on the other end of the phone. But why does our mind instantly go to worst case scenario? You know, no, nowhere in my equation of panic did I think, oh, it's likely a small animal from the neighborhood, a stray. No, I instantly go to axe-murdering creeper with a mask and, like, some kind of machete, right? Because it's human nature. Our human nature is that we, that we worry. Our human nature is to get anxious, to get worked up, to, like, stress over things, to think it through until we mess it up, Right? And so the definition of worry, worry is a verb, it's an action word, and it is to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts, fret. Another definition, to torment with cares, anxieties, etc., trouble, plague. 
This is my favorite. After this one, number three, to seize, especially by the throat, with teeth and shake or mangle, as one animal does to another, right? So we all do it. We all get sucked into this concept of worrying. And worrying really steals our life away from us one day at a time. And here's why. Worry never happens in the present. It always is about the past, something that happened before and we're worried about how it's being perceived or how it went down or how it's going to affect us. Or the worry is about something in the future that has yet to happen. But worries about the past, worries about the future, but never about the present. So worrying today about yesterday or worrying today about tomorrow steals away our life. Things like, I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough money for the bills next month. I'm worried about my grown son. He's making poor decisions. I don't know where he'll be one year from now. I'm concerned for my daughter that, that she'll be sitting alone at lunch again today. I'm concerned for my aging parents. I don't know what to do to help. I'm worried my nephew might not come home from Afghanistan. I'm not sure my dad's going to make it. He's been sick a long time. I'm afraid I might lose my job next week. I'm afraid for our marriage. It's been really hard lately. I messed up, and I'm afraid my spouse won't forgive me. I'm worried my kids will be deeply affected by our divorce last year. I don't know how to fix it. I'm worried about what my husband meant yesterday when he said, I love you. I'm worried my kids will be hurt about how I yelled at them last night. Our worries are always about the future, about something that might happen then, or it's about the past, something that's already happened. And it can be extremely distracting to get sucked into worry. It pulls us away from the big picture, and, and it forces us to look at things that are not even happening in front of us. And it keeps us from doing what God intended for us. Before I get into this too far, I just want to confess something this morning. I am a worrier. I'm an excellent worrier. I'm really good at worrying. I lie awake at night and I strategically plan. And I organize potential outcomes, 7 to 25 outcomes, to, to problems or obstacles that I'm facing. I strategize. Okay, I name it all other things besides worry. But the ultimate truth is that I am really, really skilled at worrying. And so it's one of those things that I personally struggle with. It, it grips my heart. It steals away my joy and my peace way too often. And that's why I'm sharing with you this morning because as I do, I'm really, I'm really preaching to myself. Jesus speaks to the heart of the issue of worry in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not so much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to our life? And so here, straight from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, we learn that worry is a sin because it's disobedience to a God-given command. It's just as much of a sin as stealing, just as much of a sin as coveting, just as much of a sin as any of the other sins that we so often talk about, but we don't like to admit that worry ultimately is doubting the love of God. Ultimately, it's questioning God's wisdom and God's power and God's ability to intervene in our lives. The biblical definition of worry is a distracting care resulting from assuming 
responsibility that's not yours. A distracting care. So it's not, God is not saying, hey, don't be concerned about family issues. God is saying, don't let the family drama become so concerning that it's all you can think about. God isn't saying, hey, don't be concerned about friend stuff or don't be concerned about money. He's saying, don't let money become so distracting that it takes over your mind and you assume responsibility for its outcome. Worry is a distracting care that results from assuming responsibility that does not belong to us. The average person thinks that if they just had more money, their worries would be solved. This is kind of offensive to God. It's, it's actually quite offensive to God because what it's doing is it's taking money and it's putting it in the position of problem solver in our life. It's taking money and it's an exalting it to the position of God's place in our lives. And the simple truth is that, that if we worry when we make 500 bucks a pay period, if we don't fix us, we're going to worry when we make 5,000 bucks a pay period. The amount of money doesn't matter. Money adds responsibility. Money doesn't really fix problems. God is the one who fixes our problems, and faith in him is what helps us overcome them. Matthew chapter 6, picking it up where we left off, verse 31, Jesus is speaking and he says, So don't worry about things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These thoughts dominate, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Worry is the mark of an unbeliever. Worry is the mark of an unbeliever. Unbelievers have no protector. Unbelievers have no provider. They have no heavenly father looking out for them. They have no promise of God in particular coming through in their life in any area, helping them to overcome any obstacle or challenge. God has made them no particular promise. And the Bible never says, hey, unbelievers, don't worry. I mean, Jesus says these are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. An unbeliever probably has plenty to worry about. But the believer doesn't need to worry. Because we're different, because we have God as our protector and God as our provider. And God makes promises to come through for us in particular and difficult circumstances. He promises to rescue us and, and work things together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purposes. We have a heavenly father who's looking out for us. Now, of course, any, believer, any unbeliever in the room can choose to tap into God and, and, and choose to make him their heavenly father and access all the promises of protection and provision. But the distinctive, one distinctive between people who do not know the Lord and those of us who do is that we have no reason to worry. Because we have the protection and the provision. Our God knows how much gas is going to cost next month. He knows what it's going to cost to put your son through college that you just dropped off earlier this week. God knows how much you have in your bank account, how much you're going to need to get everything done that you're facing. And so we ought to live at a level that's different and distinct from the world around us. We ought to not worry. We ought to be able to have some confidence in our Heavenly Father and say to him, God, this is what I'm facing. This is what I'm worrying about. And then know that he's going to come through for us. My husband and I are foster parents, and, and as part of our foster parent training, we went through this intensive class. And part of this class discussed this concept that, that children from abused and neglected backgrounds hoard food. 
they like take it and they hide it like in their room or under their pillow or, or something along that line. And the ultimate reason is they're not sure. They're not sure that there's any adults in their life that are going to be able to or willing to or remember to provide for them. And so they hoard stuff and they, they try to control it for themselves. And when I took this class, I thought to myself, that's, that's so sad. That's so sad that there are children in our world that feel that way. And like I said, I'm a worrier. So God's always dealing with me on worry. And so he spoke to my heart and he said, you know what? There's a lot of people that act that way towards me. They think that I'm not going to come through for them. They think I'm not going to remember or be able to or willing to provide to them their daily bread. And so they worry. But God is not a deadbeat dad who can't or won't provide or protect us. And I think the devil plans to distract us with worry like that's his M.O. Like on a, on a picnic on July 4th, there's just going to be flies buzzing around, kind of circling around, trying to like land on your food. The devil's just going to send these worries buzzing around and flying around, just trying to see which worry will land in your minds and mine, which one will distract us, and, and which one will we get sucked into trying to fix. And I think that God's wanting us to stop repeating what the devil's telling us and to start repeating what he's been telling us. It's time that we stop agreeing with the devil and we start agreeing with God. Because many people's days, my own included, are often ruined by mulling over and over a fear or a worry or, as I like to call it, a concern, right? We, we ruin our days by doing this. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15 says, All the days of the despondent... So despondent means someone who's down, someone who's depressed. All the days of the despondent and the afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. Our days are made evil by not just what happens to us, not just our circumstances, but by anxious thoughts and forebodings. Forebodings is a fancy word that means that we're expecting or afraid that something bad is going to happen to us before it ever does. Like we sit there sensing a bad thing or dreading a bad thing or worrying about a bad thing and get all worked up about a bad thing. and We're all anxious. We make ourselves sick. We make ourselves afflicted about a bad thing that hasn't even happened yet and might never happen. But meanwhile, We've just mulled it over. We've just foreboded on that issue. We've worked ourselves completely up. Now, sometimes so many bad things happen in the course of a life that we just think, well, of course bad stuff's going to happen. Bad stuff's happened to me for a long time now, and it's just kind of accumulation of how things are. And so we think that's all we can expect. And that's exactly what our enemy wants us to do. He wants us to sit around expecting something bad because he knows that our expectations are connected to our faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the definition of faith, right? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So what we're expecting is connected to our faith. Now what if it was the opposite of this verse, right? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says faith is, what if it said unfaith? Unfaith, lack of faith, is the confidence that what we fear for will actually happen. 
It gives us unassurance about things that we cannot see. It works us up, right? It gives us unassurance. And so a lot of people instead, me included, live our lives in this realm of like fear and foreboding and worry and anxiety rather than an expectation of faith. So God wants us to wake up and start off our day expecting something good. He wants us to wake up and and expect and hope for something significant in our life. We wake up, we should say, I'm expecting favor everywhere I go. I'm expecting God's wisdom and strength to accompany me today. I'm expecting God to speak to me. I'm expecting to hear something from God in my life today. I'm expecting a miracle in my life today. I'm expecting God to bless me so that that I can bless the people around me. Like We should wake up hoping for something, expecting something, and we should refuse to waste our life like getting sucked in to foreboding and worrying about bad things that might never even happen. Because the truth is, if we aren't aggressively, boldly expecting something good, then Satan will have something planned for us, and we're not going to like it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. Worry is a fear that we're not going to get what we want or need. But that's not who God is. It's a fear of being disappointed. It's a fear that things aren't going to turn out. It's a fear that a person or a situation somehow will turn out bad. While I was writing this message, I started to worry. Well, that's not really even true. While I was writing this message, I'm literally typing this message out, and the whole time I'm writing it, I have this worry in the pit of my stomach. Like a deep anxiety about something I'm facing. Maybe that's why I felt led towards this topic. I'm not entirely sure. But as I'm writing it and I'm typing all these things about, you know, Proverbs 15, 15 and don't be anxious and forebode stuff and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, I'm writing it and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to preach this. The whole time there's a rock in the pit of my stomach as I'm chewing over this worry that's going on in my private life. And, and I realized it about this point in the sermon, this is why I wrote this down here. I realized, like, what am I doing, you know? And, and I think that each one of us has to have that moment in our life where we take account and say, whoa, 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 what am I doing? It's one thing to hear this message. It's one thing to be like, yes, I should have peace from God. Yes, I shouldn't worry. It doesn't make, okay. And it's another thing to go, wait a second. I'm a chronic worrier, and I'm letting, like, stress and anxiety, I'm letting it, like, get to me. I'm, I am acting like I'm my own God. And so I had a choice in that moment, a choice right here on page five of my notes to, like, go, this is, I'm, uh, stop. And so I stopped, and I just put on some worship music, and I just began to sing worship songs to God. And I began to, you know, read some of the scriptures that I had so eloquently typed out and and really just began to let them soak into myself and talk to God about the very thing that I'm wrestling with in my life. And I think that that's the last thing that our enemy wants us to do. The last thing he wants us to do is is to praise God in the midst of a storm or to preach to ourselves in the midst of a trial. The truth, friends, is that peace comes through that. And peace is the alternative. It's the God-given alternative to worry. A peaceful life begins with a peaceful mind. Peace does not come accidentally. We have to deliberately choose peace, and we have to make it a priority. But Jesus promises us peace. John chapter 14, verse 27, these are the words of Christ, and he says, 
peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give to you. Not as the world gives. And guys, I think this is so critical because the peace that God gives us isn't based on circumstances. The peace the world tries to give us is, oh, you're at peace because everything's chill, everything's calm, everything's okay in the natural. That's the kind of peace that the world offers is, yes, it's okay to feel peace because everything looks good on the outside. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, not as the world gives, not a temporal, external peace, but Not as the world gives do I give you, continuing, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Do not permit yourself to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. Jesus is saying that he gives us a peace as our inheritance. And his peace comes to us on the inside. Now, Jesus was about to, he's like preparing his disciples in chapter 14 to like leave the earth and stuff. And he could have said, hey, guys, when I leave, I'm going to go ahead and give you a bunch of money so you have nothing to worry about. That could have been his solution, but he didn't do that. He said, I'm leaving, and as I leave, I'm going to leave you peace. I'm going to leave you peace, not peace as the world gives, not peace based on, I'm going to leave you peace, the peace of Jesus Christ is our inheritance. Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself, he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ offers us a peace that the world cannot duplicate or recreate. He himself becomes our peace. So looking back at John 14 again, Jesus talking, peace I leave with you, my own peace I now give to you, not peace as the world gives do I give. Do not let Your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. And it's easy for us to fall into the trap of believing we have no control over our worries, right? Because they're so overwhelming. There's a lot going on. The kids are going crazy over here. The spouse, the job, money, da-da-da. It's easy to think that the worries and the anxiety that we're facing is a little bit out of our control. But... Imagine this. Imagine that you're at your house and you're in the middle of one of those moments with your teenager and like you're screaming and they're screaming and it's disrespect all up over the place, right? And you're like, brah! And you're in the middle of that, the doorbell rings, right? And it's Pastor Dan Anomaly. And they have arrived at your home, right? Mid, mid reaming of your teenager, suddenly, Good evening, Pastor Dan and Amelie. Please come in. S- Junior, would you please go fetch the pastor and his wife some lemonade? I mean, right? Like the instant chaos and stress melts away and there's a facade, right, of peace. And doesn't everyone in your home follow suit? And so the truth is we do have control. We can not let ourselves, right? Because in that moment we can, we can fake it. And yes, that's a fake peace, right? It's a fake peace in that moment. But as we refuse to let ourselves be agitated, as we take control of that emotion and push it aside in that vacuum where we used to worry, in that vacuum where we used to stress, that's where Jesus sends his peace. But he can't send it if we don't control and and stop letting ourselves be agitated. So that same inner self that goes, good morning, pastor, come on in. That That initial push it down, push it out, fake it for a second, and suddenly it becomes real, not because of what we do, 
as the worrier, but because of what Jesus provides, that he himself becomes our peace. As a practiced worrier, I've come to some really important conclusions. And the first conclusion is, I am not God. You laugh, but it's true. (laughs) I am not God, and I can't fix all of this. And I wonder how many times as worriers we get stuck on that thing because we don't, we don't like to like think about why we're worrying. We think about the problem we're worrying about, not let's look what's broken inside me that's making me worry. But acknowledging I'm not God and I can't fix this is key to overcoming worry. Whenever people preach on worry, it's going to be common for them to throw in a verse. And it's going to be 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, right? And it says, cast, you cast your cares upon Christ because he cares for you. That's the common translation. But I would like to say that the verse must begin at verse 6. You have to start a verse back at verse 6. It says, therefore, humble yourselves, demote yourselves, lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. Because if you and I aren't willing to demote ourselves and lower ourselves and say, wait a second, I'm not God. I can't fix this thing that my teenager is going through. I cannot, I cannot fix them. And worrying about it and strategizing and concerning myself and be distracted, it's not going to change. When we go, wait a second, I'm not God. I lower myself. I'm not on the throne. I'm not in control. I lower myself in my own estimation so that God can take his rightful place in my life as problem solver, as strategic thinker, as, as planner, as solution bringer, as provider, as protector. But as long as I'm exalting myself and sitting in that seat through worry, I vacated God from that role in my life. So the first step as a very seasoned worrier that I've encountered is I have to acknowledge, not in a cute, funny way, but like deep down inside, I am not God and I cannot fix this. And then I, I humble myself, verse 6, I lower myself in my own estimation under the mighty hand of God so that I can do verse 7, which is cast the whole of your care, all your anxiety, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. A person that worries thinks he or she can still solve their own problems. But a humble man realizes that only God can deliver him. And we cannot cast our cares upon him and leave them there unless we've dethroned ourselves. And the second truth I've learned is that I can't agree with the devil and I must agree with God. I've got to take those thoughts captive. And the teaching team has taught many times on how to take thoughts captive, but the ultimate truth is I can pray or I can worry, but it does no good to pray and then worry. I can pray or I can worry, but it does no good to pray and then worry. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, another classic worry verse, right? It says, do not worry about anything Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There's a promise in this verse that we can receive peace that passes 
all understanding. That it will guard our heart and mind. And there are many people that, that are looking for peace and they try pills and fads and therapy and self-help and stress reduction techniques. Anything they can get their hands on to get a little bit of peace. But the Apostle Paul says that the peace that God wants to give us is above our understanding. It's a gift that cannot be explained, it cannot be duplicated, it cannot be fabricated. It is a peace that only God can give. And the peace that I'm talking about this morning is not just a peace to overcome little trivial worries or little trivial concerns. It certainly does that, but it goes so far beyond. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that, that binds up the brokenhearted and, and reaches into those who at this moment life to them makes no sense at all. It's for the family who loses a loved one before it's time. It's for the mother who miscarries the baby. It's for a couple who's pretty sure their marriage is not going to make it. It's for the man who's shouldering the responsibility of his aging father. It's a peace that passes understanding, a peace that, that we can't even breathe in a natural, but we can breathe so deeply of this peace down to the core of our being. Even when we can't catch our breath, we can breathe it in. It's a promise that we don't need to worry about anything because we're praying about everything. In the midst of the worst moments of life, we worship we have peace. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm writing this sermon and the truth is that, that worry's gripping me and I'm wrestling with a concern. When I look at it in the natural, the gut level truth, friends, is I have no idea. I have no idea how this worry that I'm wrestling with is going to work out. In the natural, it's impossible. In the natural, the worry is bigger than the walls of Jericho. In, in the natural, the worry is greater than the, the depths of the Red Sea. In the natural, I have no idea how God is going to make a way. But I know this. I serve a God who always makes a way. I serve a God who parts the Red Sea with the Egyptians breathing down our neck. I serve a God who causes the walls of Jericho to tumble down with a shout of triumphant worship. I serve a God who raises the dead on the fourth day when it's impossible, when the whole situation stinks and the family says, don't roll away the stone, Jesus, don't. It's going to be messy in there. I serve a God who raises the dead on the fourth day. And friends, I don't know. I don't know what worry keeps you awake at night. I don't know what you're facing, but I know this. God will make If you would, stand to your feet. Because the first part of overcoming our worry is an acknowledgement that we are not God. And if you're in the room this morning and you'd say, you know what? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's create some sacred space. But if you're here and you'd say, JL, I'm like you. I worry and I put myself on the throne. And if you want to acknowledge to God, God, through my worry, I have taken your spot in my life as problem solver and provider. If you want to acknowledge that to God and ask for forgiveness, raise up your hand. God, you see our many, many hands. We acknowledge as a people that we have placed ourselves 
in the role of God as problem solver, as fixer, as strategic thinker, when ultimately only you, only you can make a way. And so God, collectively in the depths of our heart, we apologize and we remove ourselves from the throne of our life. And we open it up for you, Jesus, to assume the rightful place on the throne. You are our God, you are our provider, you are the one who protects, you're the one who makes a way where there is no way. And God, we acknowledge that. We align ourselves with you, we agree with you from this moment forward. We will not continue to be eaten up by worry, but God, we will take our concerns to you. So friends, whatever it is that you're worrying about this morning in your own words, whisper it to God. Tell him about it. Philippians 4 says, tell God what you need. Tell him what you're worrying. God, we need healings in this room. God, we need relationships to be made whole in this room. God, we need teenagers to come back into the family fold in this room. God, we need babies to sleep through the night. God, we need bosses to become just and honest. God, we need raises. God, all kinds of worries face us, but God, instead of worrying, we, we refuse that. And we lift up our prayers to you. And we acknowledge and we believe and we declare that you will make a way.